Greetings, Hushtillians. Welcome back to another edition of Declassified Discussions. I'm Slick Frank Sanders. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. Today we're joined by an explorer and adventurer of cryptids, mysteries, and legends, specifically in the Appalachian Mountains of the Carolinas, gathering evidence of the weird, the occult, strange, and the supernatural that roam the famous region and the host of Hellbent Holler podcast. Hushlings, Hushtillians, Hush Puppies, welcome, Jesse Doyle. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Hello. Thank you guys for having me on the show today. You're welcome. Uh, I love the aesthetic. We all have kind of the same thing going on here. <laughs> for the first time in quite many interviews with, with folks, I really like having like a darker aesthetic to it. Um, a lot of times people are involved in like cryptid research, people that are interested in the subject, they kind of treat it kind of like a Pokemon type thing. You know, it's like all this <laughs> cute stuff. Um, but the reality of this is that these things are dangerous and this is actually really, really scary. So I like having like a darker, more dangerous aesthetic. So I always, I have a, I have a, we made a t-shirt that says make cryptozoology dangerous again. So. Oh, I like that. You yeah. got to make bright red hats with that. And that'll be, that'll be really. <laughs> no, good. blaze orange. Everything's blaze orange. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Safe in the woods. Yeah, yeah. You'll really get more attention actually with that. Thank you again for being on the show with us today and giving us your time. But before we get completely into it. Can you give us a rundown on what you're all about for some of our listeners that might not be familiar with your work, haven't listened to you, haven't heard of you at all? We're a two partner. We're a two person team. The we go out into the woods in the Southern Appalachian Mountains and basically investigate weird stuff, high strangeness, uh, cryptids like Sasquatch or Dogman. Um, or even looking into things like hauntings, like these woods could be haunted. Timothy Brenner has a uh, has a term that he uses called like a wildergeist, and it's basically the concept of it being like a poltergeist, but in the woods. And mm. through the course of our travels and everything that we've been doing, going out into the woods, um, we've actually run across some really weird occult stuff as well. So it seems like we've thrown in some occult and cult activity into what we're doing. So it's hauntings, cryptids, and now crazy backwoods cults at this point. But we are really, really gear heavy. Um, we have basically one of the best tech loadouts of anybody anybody doing this. We have like the technology level of a major television production at this point. We use thermals, um, night vision cameras, full spectrum cameras, and we just have a mountain of equipment. We're also very much into being prepared for whatever we run across out there. If you actually believe these things exist and these things are real, you need to be prepared to pre prepared to defend yourself. So we do carry firearms. Um, we carry knives, but we're super gear heavy because we need these things to go out there and do this work. If you're really going to do this work. Um, I focus a lot on survival training. Uh, wilder I'm wilderness first aid certified. I do a lot of survival training and I'll do a lot of backwoods hiking. And um, I'm actually training right now to um, get into search and rescue. So it's sort of a cross spectrum thing. There's a lot to this and it pretty much has encapsulated my entire life at this point. Uh, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's such a wide 
gamut of things. It's it's the outdoor aspect of it. It's the research and the cryptozoology part of it. And then it's also the filmmaking part of it. So it's a lot of plates spinning. That's really awesome. It, it seems like you managed to turn something that was almost hobby-esque into more so of a lifestyle. And yeah. you're, you're fully involved, both feet in the water. I respect that. But before we move on, you mentioned a little bit about these backwood cults and weird sort of occult stuff that you're coming across in the woods yes. there. Could you give us an example maybe of some of the stuff you've come across cult-wise? Okay. We're going to get real dark real quick here. Good. We um, love that. <laughs> great, great. So I know you guys do a lot of stuff with conspiracies and um, you know the like. Are you guys familiar with the Finders cult? Yeah, no. we are. Yes. Okay. All right. So we think we've come across something that is related to the finders cult uh, in the mountains of North Georgia. So there are these wilderness therapy camps. So they'll take like troubled youth and they send them off to these wilderness therapy camps. And they're very expensive to send your kids out there. But these camps basically take these kids. Paris Hilton was sent to one of these things before. So basically they take these kids and they take them way out into the woods and they have basically no food. They take their shoes away from them sometimes so they can't run away. Um, they The kids sleep under tarps on the ground and even in like the coldest part of the winter, these kids are out there like in this very, very, very um, intense situation because they have no food. They're, they're deprived of everything and they're, they have no idea where they're at. So a lot of these kids will be sent to this and there's a whole slew of these accounts online of people who, who were, they're considered survivors of these camps because it just messed them up. Like it, they have PTSD from going to these camps. They're very, very intense. And um, it's, it's, it's not just borderlining on abuse. It, it is actual like child abuse, but it's sanctioned child abuse like their parents send them to these things and and they'll they'll send their kids to these things for even like video game addiction so that's a little background on it this area we've been going into and we've found very very strange um what would be considered close to bigfoot type activity we've been going up there and researching in this area we've never found like large footprints just small footprints and stuff like that in that area but it's an area we've been researching it's a huge huge swath of wilderness we've been going up there and researching we started running across these wilderness therapy groups so they're way back in the woods um and we've been running across them so we started looking into it and it turns out that um, there was, we were up, we were actually walking on a ridge line, and there was a, a note pinned to a tree that said, Alec, you can come home, come home. And I thought that was very strange. So I looked it up. I looked up the name because it was very distinct. And I looked it up and I found that there was a girl whose boyfriend had been sent to this camp, and she was up there trying to find him. So I got in touch with this girl and right when she, right when I talked to her, like the first time I talked to her, she goes, did you hear the, did you hear the voices? And did you, did you see the spirits in the woods? And I was like, whoa, I didn't even tell her what I did. I didn't even tell her that I was a paranormal investigator. I didn't tell her anything about that. I kind of just dug into this when, and was just curious about what happened with that. So 
she had gone up there with a couple of the other people that were survivors of this wilderness therapy camp. And they were trying to track down where the, where they were keeping these kids out in the woods. And they hiked around. They were trying to find him in this just huge, 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 vast wilderness. So they were leaving notes all over. So hopefully if he found it, he could run away or leave or something like that. So she's telling me about this and she's on the call with me. And a guy who was with her, who's a survivor of this camp, told me that they were out there looking and he came across a group of these people in a circle, all in robes with a young girl in the middle of the circle who was crying. And they ended up uh, getting like getting him out of there. Like he tried to run and, and you know, like uh, confront them, but they ended up shoving him out of there and getting him out of there. Um, but they were obviously up to cult, you know, up, up to something. So some sort of ritual was going on there. So that's kind of the background on that. We've been continually going up to this area. And with that knowledge that this cult activity is going on, we're going up there and now we're finding evidence of we think it's this group up there performing rituals. We'll find areas where there's stone circles, where there's uh, burn marks. There's uh, they'll take sticks, and I we found a huge like stick triangle that looks like it's part of some kind of ritual. So we've been finding evidence of that everywhere, and we're finding weird things that belong to children. Um, so we think that they're taking these kids up there and possibly doing rituals with them. I noticed in one of your videos that you guys came across, as you said, these stick configurations, like a box with an X inside of it. Yes. So we've been finding those all over up there. And it's right in the areas where we're finding evidence of these rituals. But this this stuff is like way back in the woods. And it's not even, there's no trails. It's not like a trail system or anything like that. But we keep finding this symbol over and over and over. A couple of years ago, we were out there and we were we were going to camp and we had set up our camp and everything and we went we hiked around went around you know uh, went through the woods we were we were a ways away from our camp and then we came back to our camp and it was night and we're we're hearing stuff stuff you know there's weird lights in the woods we go and behind our tent we actually find that symbol with mud in the middle of it and a handprint in the middle of it. And it wasn't there earlier in the day when we set up the tents, but they had, that symbol was there. We don't know what the symbol means, but we keep finding that specific symbol all over where we're finding evidence of rituals going on. That's super weird. Very weird. Is this something that's just localized to that region? I mean, there's a, when you think about stuff like the finders cult, you know, they're all, that's a network of this. Now these wilderness therapy camps, that's a big thing there. I mean, there's one in Provo, Utah, they're, they're all over the country. Um, it would be a perfect opportunity for them to have people that they can brainwash into the system, into their cult. And it's an also a great opportunity to have kids that Frankly, if they went missing, nobody would really notice or care. There's been several children that either have gone missing from these camps or end up dead. And they say that they just fell off a waterfall or something. But it's a, there's a huge possibility that they could actually be performing rituals or sacrifice with these people. So are you implying that these wilderness camps might actually have some sort of tie to that finder's cult that might be lurking around in the area? I think it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a, 
it maybe a, a new evolution of it because that was the finders cult situation was going on for the 80s 90s um but you've not really heard anything about it since then it's um but i think it's kind of evolved into this and now it's almost like they've organized it way better than before and it's almost like industrialized in a way but you know i mean we we know that the elites are up to really really strange sick and nefarious stuff so it it's not a far stretch to think that they could use this system to actually gain access to victims that's why i asked like if it was just regional because and then you mentioned 80s and 90s I grew up in a very rural, like the first third or so of my life, I grew up in a very rural part of Connecticut. Very yeah. small, like 6,000 people in a town. And there were a couple kids in elementary school that would go to these camps. They weren't Boy Scout camps. And Boy Scout camps, they were ruthless. They'd be like, hey, you're going to freeze to death. So enjoy that. Yeah. You know, here's here's a campfire. But there were a couple kids that would be like, yeah, I'm going to camp this summer. It wasn't YMCA. It wasn't, you know, like a skateboard camp. It wasn't anything like that. And they would come back the next year. And this was like middle school. So for me, 1996, 7, 98, and kids would be like, like catatonic coming back. Like yeah. two or three kids. And they were the edgy kids. They were the kids that were like you, but they went a little too far. They did, uh -huh. you know, they'd light shit on fire and be a little bit over the top. And they would always go to these camps and they wouldn't call them that. So uh, that was my question that you answered. Oh, I, I, I absolutely think, I mean, that's, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, it's, it's, it, there is, that's a huge possibility. These camps are everywhere and there's just, I don't, there's no oversight. There's no accountability. So we had another kind of run in with a similar place that, is in a different area. This is in North Carolina. We were in a place called Panther Town Valley. And this is where we had one of our like craziest like expeditions we've ever gone on. Um, but we didn't film it. This was before we started filming what we were doing. We were kind of legend tripping and going out and hiking and doing this, but we weren't filming anything. We, we didn't have a YouTube channel or anything like that. So we go up, we had heard a legend about a, uh, like a witch that was like a woods witch that was in this forest and this person had seen this this old hag who turned into a like a large cat so um at this specific waterfall in panther town valley so we had heard that story and we we're like okay let's go check it out so we go to where this trail is and we hike the trail and everything's kind of weird it's kind of a weird um it was really, really far back in there. Before we got to where we parked to go and hike in, we actually went down the wrong road and we ended up at this uh, cap, like a large cabin. And there was a gate and everything. There was nowhere to turn around. So I had to go into the gate and was trying to turn around. These people came out and came up to our car and were like, why are you here? What are you doing? What are you doing here? We're like, oh, sorry, we went down the wrong road. Uh, we're just turning around. And they're like, well, you're not allowed to be here. You need to get out of here. So we're like, okay, all right, sorry, sorry. Um, but they had a sign. They were a wilderness therapy camp, but they were like a permanent um, establishment that wasn't like where they camp in the woods and everything like that. It's like a big cabin way back in the woods. And um, they had fencing and gates and all this stuff. So that's over there. Well, we go and we hike the trail. A lot of weird stuff happens. Um, we hear a lot of very strange noises. Um, it's It was just, it was really, really just unsettling and weird. So we hike up, go to the waterfall, check that out, take photos. Um, and then we're about to hike back because the sun's going down. 
our GPS keeps failing, keeps malfunctioning. We have we have redundancies on everything. So we have two GPSs plus our Garmin watches plus our phones. Um, our everything was just failing. All of our GPSs were failing. So that was like the first kind of red flag we had. Well, we were coming back across this wide creek, and it's just you have to go across stones to get across this wide, deep creek. So Joe gets on the other side, and he's reaching out. You know, I'm about to walk over. He's reaching out. And I get to the center of the creek and I stand on this large stone and I just, I basically black out. I don't remember any of this. This is just what Joe told me had happened because I remember none of this. I remember getting halfway across this creek and just blacking out. He said that I just slumped over and then just looked at him and just said, I don't feel good. And then I almost, I looked like I was about to collapse. So he grabs me, pulls me to the other side of the creek, and then I just come to and I'm just nauseous and I throw up and he has to, like, I had eaten that day. I was hydrated, you know, but I was just sick. I was out of my mind. Um, so he got me away from that creek and I felt a lot better the further I got away from that. Um, so we were trying to hike out of there and just get out of there as quickly as we could. All of a sudden we had stones coming out of the woods, like, we have no idea where they were coming from, in two different directions. We were hiking back. We looked down onto the trail and we saw sticks arranged in some sort of um, glyphs. They looked almost like runes, but they weren't runes, but it was in some sort of glyph pattern in the trail, all out right where we just came back through a few hours earlier. There's nobody else out there. So we're hiking out, hiking out, and we get out to the end and we're hiking out and about to get where the car is. And there at the trailhead area, there's a truck with these three men in it, like hanging around it. One sitting on the, on the tailgate. They're sitting around drinking beer. They're all wearing the same blue like flannel shirt. And I, are you familiar with the flannel man uh, legends? I've never heard of no. that. No. Okay. So <laughs> no. there's a Sounds thing like called- Frank. <laughs> yeah. So flannel man is like this that they're they're not really sure what it is, but they they it's a thing that keeps popping up and it's like sometimes it's like a demonic man in a flannel shirt, but it's something that keeps popping up. People keep having these sightings and experiences with what's called a flannel man. Well, these three guys are sitting up there and there's something completely unnatural about them. Um the way they smile, the way they talk. They they asked us when we walked up there, did you make it to the falls? We're like, nope, nope, had to had to turn around. You know, it's getting late. We were trying to get the heck away from them. There was something very uncanny, unnatural, um, unsettling about these people. And the smell around them was that of a rotting body. It just smelled like a rotting corpse in the middle of the summertime. And it was absolutely freaky and unsettling. And I had had this experience over the creek and all of this stuff had happened. We get home and then we decide to do some research on the area which we should have done before we went out there. But in that creek, apparently a few years earlier, a child had escaped from the wilderness therapy camp, gone into the woods and was missing for two weeks until they found his body in that very creek where I had that experience. Um, And when they did the autopsy on the kid, he had been missing for two weeks. They said that he had only been dead for about a day and that he had drowned in the creek. It wasn't that big or deep of a creek, but he drowned in the creek, but his pelvis was completely crushed. Uh, he had several bones completely crushed, not just broken like he tripped and fell and drowned in the creek. They were crushed. In the 
article said that it, it appeared that he had been dropped from a great height, which is very strange. So there's something going on with the paranormal and these wilderness therapy camps. Um, and you, you can think about it in a way that, you know, when you have like a poltergeist haunting, what is usually the catalyst for something like that? Usually in poltergeist hauntings, you have a prepubescent or pubescent uh, teen in the in the house. And that goes hand in hand with poltergeists. So if you are in the woods and you have these kids that are in these high intensity situations, they're very emotional, they're pubescent, um, they're, they're possibly being tortured out there. It's very stressful. They're starving. That could also be like a catalyst, like a, for a wildergeist, like a poltergeist would be. Mm, yeah. All that trauma just manifesting as something else. It just feeds into that. So I think that there's some sort of connection there. We're really, we really haven't put the pieces together yet. We're just getting little pieces at a time, little glimpses of it. Um, and just trying to make sense of it as we go along. Those flannel guys sounded very creepy and the smell yes. of that rotting flesh around them. It makes me yes. think, you know, if you're talking about a woods witch, could this be some of her victims that she's now turned into her, you know, minions for lack of a better term. And as crazy as all this sounds, Wearing I mean, flannel. you know, a few years ago I would have been like, old okay. hunters. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like a few years ago, I would have been, all right, whatever. You know, I'd be like, okay, no, there's no way. But the more I do this and the more that I see and experience, it's I, the the strangest stuff is becoming reality day by day. When you experience something like that, for example, the trip to North Carolina or the Carolinas that you just explained where you had this strange experience at the creek and then you guys had stones coming at you, runes in the path. And then these three strange, mysterious figures. Is there any hesitation or reluctance to revisit that site? Or is it just sort of like, okay, no more of that on to the next? Are you intrigued to go back? Have you gone back? We have never returned to that area. We have never returned there. We want to. We need to. We talk about it all the time. But we are so apprehensive about going back. And it's just and I listen, I go, we go into the land between the lakes and, um, you know, go hunting for dog, man. We go into some dangerous areas, rough terrain, but we have not gotten like that. That was probably one of the scariest moments of my life. It was terrifying. And it's, it's almost unexplainable. Like it's that just deep seated fear inside of you that you just can't, you, you can't even talk about in a way I've gone into really dangerous situations, but that doesn't compare to kind of the fear I have about going back to that area. Totally understandable. Kind of an odd question regarding that. If you were to go back, is there anything that you would bring with you that you may have not had that first time that you think would aid in that investigation or maybe even protect you? Uh, yes, it's a, uh, a Glock 29, 10 millimeter pistol. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <Fuck> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's basically, that's basically it. I mean, you know, you can go into these things, but if you, you just, there's no real protection from it. You know, we do, I do rituals on all of our weapons. Um, we carry holy water sometimes, sometimes we'll carry black salt. 
um, to aid in our protection from whatever these things are, whatever this is, the spiritual warfare or whatever the threat is. But there's a, there's a spiritual threat and there's a physical threat. So that's why we always go armed. But, you know, I think just being prepared in terms of ready to defend yourself from whatever this is or whatever these are to the best of your ability is all you can do. In the ratio of doing things in the woods and then maybe in more of an urban environment, do you find similarities in certain areas because me being in the woods sometimes alone or with maybe one or two other people and you're like deep woods yeah is almost the same feeling as being in a urban environment at like two o'clock in the morning at night and you have that same i guess animalistic awareness as a human being to just be like looking around and listening and hearing something because I had an epiphany a couple years ago where I heard helicopters and sirens and people yelling and the sirens continue. And then the helicopter says, man, with a machete outside wearing this and this and this. And like, and I'm like, dude, this is the jungle we live in and it's two o'clock in the morning. So do you find any similarities to those or is it more freaky in the woods? I mean, for me, I think it's scarier in the woods. Yeah. Um, I lived in New Orleans for 10 years um, and I worked in the French Quarter. I bartended in the French Quarter on Lower Decatur Street for many years and I did graveyards out there. So I'd go in at 2 a.m. and I'd get off at 10 a.m. And it was at a really rough kind of um, kind of a seedy joint, you know, um, but I, I was there for many years and it was dangerous. It was very dangerous. And you kind of have to really grow up very quickly when you're in that environment and you're by yourself all the time. So it was really dangerous and really scary. And when we left New Orleans and came back to the Southern Appalachian region, which I'm from North Carolina originally, um, we came back here and I almost missed that fear and that adrenaline rush that you would get from being in those dangerous environments. And I think that's what's led to me actually doing this work like I do, because you have that level of fear and danger in your life on a regular basis, and then it's just gone. You have almost like a, a void that you need to fill. And I think that's why we've started actually going into the woods and putting ourselves into these dangerous situations is because we enjoy doing that, you know, and you, we miss that kind of adrenaline rush. When you're out in the woods and you're miles and miles and miles away from anyone or anything, and the only way you're going to get out of there is by taking a gravel road for 15, 20 miles that takes four hours to get down, and then you still have to drive another hour or two before you're even anywhere where there's you know street lights or a gas station or anything like that, there is no help. There is no... There is no calling 911. There is no getting out quickly. There is no, there's no safety net. You have to be your own safety net. And we're out there in the middle of the night, uh, walking through the woods just by ourselves. And there's just, it's, it's scary, but it's very exciting too. 
Um, there's a lot of stuff in the woods that can kill you that is not a cryptid, <laughs> you know? Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's animals and then, you know, falling. You can twist your ankle. You can break a leg. You can fall off a waterfall. I mean, it's dangerous out there. And when you're, you know, we're walking through the woods in the middle of the night, that just adds to that danger level. But I always carry a, a Garmin InReach Mini when I go out there. It's a personal locator beacon. Um, so if I have a medical emergency or something like that. I can actually get medevaced out of there by hitting the SOS button and it will contact um, like emergency services and I could be medevaced out of there. And that's one hell of a bill, a bill if I do that. But yeah, that's my only lifeline basically is that one little Garmin InReach Mini um, satellite communicator. It's just amazing though that you come across humans just flourishing in some aspect in the middle of nowhere in those yeah. those woods areas too and it's always the creepiest shit like you said well i mean you, you you're out there you can get up to anything you can get away with anything there's nobody watching you so there's you know in those dark corners of the woods i mean you can get up to some very you know shady stuff during your time living in New Orleans, how did that influence what you do with the voodoo and vampiric subjects sort of intertwined into the culture there? Did that have any sort of influence on you? Yeah. Um, so uh, one of my one of my very good friends is actually a Santerian priest, and uh, Joe Joe's good friends with a guy that heads a voodoo temple. Um, I'm I'm friends with a lot of witches and just that people like that just a lot of odd characters when you're in the french quarter you know you know everybody that's involved everybody that's involved in you know ritual magic and stuff like that um i had a lot of paranormal experiences in new orleans i worked at another place where my office went out into a cemetery it was an odd fellow cemetery from uh the second wave of yellow fever in the 1800s that just killed off thousands of people in new orleans um but it's it's just strange that New Orleans has such a such a reputation, I guess, that there's vampires everywhere, and it's it, that's just not. I, I think that's more of just kind of a tourist ploy in a way, because it's there's like there's not like a big vampire problem in New Orleans. I think it's kind of a um, kind of a hokey little tourist thing. But there's plenty of people performing ritual magic and uh, getting up to getting up to that. What would you say, in your opinion, is the most intriguing Appalachian cryptid? I've been really heavy into Dogman. Um, I've, I've mainly been focusing on Dogman over the past about year and a half now. I started going to the land between the lakes and uh, researching that. That's in Kentucky. It's in Tennessee and Kentucky. But right now, Dogman is pretty much taking over everything. I'm not, um, you know, there's all these weird little like cryptids. Like, like I said earlier, you know, when you think about like the looking at cryptids, like they're almost like Pokemon in a way. Like there's a squonk. Um, do you know what a squonk is? Okay. I've heard of it, but I, I couldn't describe it to you. It's <laughs> yeah, like it a well. fat, it's supposed to be like a fat little creature that is just so ugly that it, it just cries all the time. It's just weird little <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> And it's like, it's like wet and greasy and it's just like Ooh. a bald little like groundhog looking thing. But there's like all kinds of little cryptids like that. I'm not a huge fan of that stuff. I don't really spend a lot of time dealing with that or looking into that. I'm, I'm looking for physical cryptids that I think actually exist um, like Dogman or a Sasquatch, you know. 
The Dogman, it's really interesting because is that like a correlation with the werewolf aspect of cryptozoology? Well, so you would think about like a werewolf. There's there's got to be like some sort of transition there when it comes to a werewolf. I that where it's a person going into like a wolf form. I don't think that's a possibility. I don't think that's a thing. But the dog dogman is always in this form, and there's a lot of theories about the origin of it. Whether it's something that has always been here, something that was brought here from another dimension, or something that was possibly engineered by the government as a bioweapon. That's an interesting take on cryptids as a bioweapon. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've really touched on that too much. <laughs> not at all. Maybe maybe mutations we've talked about before, but not yeah. as a bioweapon. That's a good angle. You mentioned Kentucky, and I had a quick question about that. It was something that I was going to ask you previously as you're talking about the Carolinas, but especially when you touched on Kentucky. There's a massive underground cave system around yes. that area especially yes. throughout the Appalachians. Have you explored any of that? And what if so, have you come across anything that, that strikes you as odd or interesting? So what's really crazy about the cave system in Kentucky is only about, I think about 3% if that has even been explored or mapped or anything at this point. So we have no idea what's under there. We have no idea what could be existing in these cave systems. Um, we're kind of running on a theory right now that maybe these dogman creatures or other creatures, possibly even uh, small humanoids like goblins almost, um, could actually dwell in those places and actually be there and just be right under our feet and we wouldn't even know it. That That is a perfect opportunity. There's a perfect place for these things to live, travel, and exist without ever being detected. They could emerge from open mines because Kentucky's dotted with old open mines um, that actually connect to some of these cave systems. But something could just pop out of one of these open mines, grab somebody, and then they'd be gone and you wouldn't even know it. There was a there was a case in Kentucky. It's the Corey Godsey case where this little boy, he was about 11 years old, I believe, he was grabbed and dragged straight up a mountain to a mine um, and killed. Now, they said that it was a pack of wild dogs that did this, but I don't see a pack of wild dogs dragging an 11-year-old boy over a fence and then straight up the side of a mountain and into a mine. When they just attack him right yeah. then and there. Yeah, the not spot. drag him up yeah. the side of a mountain. That kind of reminds me of some of the missing persons cases when it comes to national parks. A lot of those missing persons reports when it comes to cryptids about people being dragged away by, you know, an ape man or hairy man, Sasquatch, whatever it may be. It's the national park system and, and those cave systems. Very, very odd. I know that they did a show on the Kentucky goblins. So was it hellier? Yeah. Now, now you remember in that there was a, there was that occult angle too, but they completely just missed the boat on it. And I don't know why, I guess it's, it's too, it's a little too much maybe, but if you remember in the second season of hellier, they, um, you know, they're, t they're, they're interviewing this guy and he's talking about these elites in this town of Somerset have like this eyes wide shut cult kind of thing going on. And they're, they're torturing and sacrificing people. And it's like, they just breeze right past it. And it's like, well, wait a minute, let's go to this cave where the cult is. Why are you not going for that? But 
You know, it's, 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 it's weird. You've got all these little things. And then there's also the human element of, is there a cult activity going on? And that's like the area that we're investigating right now very heavily. It's sort of like a chicken and the egg thing is, is the occult activity and these rituals causing these things to happen, causing these creatures to emerge and come into our reality? Or are these people drawn to these areas because of that? Um, are it's which one came first? Are they drawn to each other? Is there just like a, a negativity and an evil in these places that just cause these things to come out and it causes these people to go there and perform these rituals? I feel like occultists are in a way more dangerous because they are more material. Not yeah. saying that cryptids aren't. Human nature is a terrifying thing, especially when you have a ton of money and a ton of power and a lot of places to hide. Besides your expedition to North Carolina, not saying that could be your favorite by any means, it sounds like it was almost traumatic, but still packed full of interesting stuff. Besides that, what has been your favorite investigation, if not series of investigations that you've done and some of the interesting things that came along with that? I'd say certainly going to the land between the lakes. Um, I've gone there. We've gone there three times so far, and we're returning very soon uh, to do another about nine or ten day expedition. We'll be at the land between the lakes for that. Um, I, I don't know if any, if you guys are familiar with any of the, the stories about the land between the lakes, but I'll give you kind of a rundown on it. It's the it's the country's largest inland peninsula. And it is a national recreation area. It used to be just land between two rivers. And then they built a dam, dynamited a bunch of stuff out. And now it's two lakes. There was a lot of people that used to live on the peninsula. There was whole towns. There was neighborhoods, schools, shops, everything. And the 1960s, the TVA ended up uh, seizing a lot of the land, taking the land. And they paid some people for it. There was a lot of people who were holdouts who wouldn't leave, but they pretty much kicked all of these people off of their land and took the land from them. So there's a lot of negativity that goes along with that. In the course of building these lakes, they also dug up tons of cemeteries, tons of cemeteries. Some of these people, they never buried with their own headstones. Some people, they never dug up and moved. Um, they ended up flooding these cemeteries. Um, so you've got a lot of negativity there. In the late 1800s, it was the center of the iron ore industry for Kentucky. So they have all these large iron furnaces up there. There's only one that's actually complete and still still standing. It's the Great Western Furnace. But that's a very, very crazy story with that, too, because they use slave labor to actually uh, smelt the iron ore. They work. They, there was slave revolts. Um, it was, it was, it's got such a dark and, and just bloody past. Well, so <clears throat> there's always been these stories about dog man or Sasquatch or creatures, just something there. And you've got all this negativity in this area and all of this, uh, bitterness that's just soaked into the land at this point. Well, in the 1980s, there's a story about a family that went to the land between the lakes and then they were all brutally murdered. So that's the story that kind of goes around in the cryptid circles and everybody kind of knows that story. Since then, there's been other witnesses that have come out who have encountered 
uh, Dogman, that people who have encountered Sasquatch out there, and people go missing in the land between the lakes on a pretty regular basis, and you just don't hear anything about it. They don't do a lot of stuff on the land between the lakes. It's pretty much just sat there, and it just exists. Um, it's falling into disrepair. They don't do a lot with it. And it's almost like they've created this place that is pretty much cut off. And if you needed to, you could just dynamite a couple bridges and it would just be completely cut off. So if there is something there, you could easily quarantine it off. But we went there. We've gone there three times so far. Uh, on our first expedition there, we actually got a thermal image of what appears to be a dog man. And before that, we really didn't believe in dog man at all. We, we kind of went there on a lark. It was just kind of a fun little jaunt that we went on. And after we experienced what we experienced uh, and got that thermal image, I, I think that pretty much sealed the deal that these are actually, these are actual things that are out there. And there is a possibility that these things could be running amok on this peninsula and existing there. Um, but those are my favorite, that's my favorite place to go and investigate. We go pretty regularly and I have a whole, I have a couple of series on my YouTube channel where we go and investigate that. And we found a lot of strange stuff. Um, we found uh, trails of bones that lead up to these, this old shack on this, on top of this hill. Um, there's entrances to tunnels. Um, there's just all kinds of weird stuff out there. We've also experienced uh, ghost activity out there near one of those cemeteries. Joe actually saw a full-bodied white apparition of a woman. Um, but yeah, that's the land between the lakes has just been the the scariest and craziest place I've ever been. And I just every time I leave, I just can't wait to get back there. Isn't it a portion of Kentucky that was really significant in the Civil War? I don't know. I don't know about because that. Because of the waterways, um, the way that it, they all connect. It's uh, bounded by the Cumberland River is uh, on one side of it. It's Lake Barkley and Lake Kentucky, but the Cumberland River runs right through there. Yeah, I'm looking at a map of it, and it looks like a very strategic place for two major waterways that go from yeah. southwestern Kentucky into Tennessee. Yeah, Fort, uh, what is it? Fort Donaldson is there. It's at the base of it in uh, Dover, Tennessee. Uh, Fort Donaldson is there, yes. So you have kind of this amalgamation of paranormal activity, cryptid activity, and then you have the pain of the past and digging up these bodies and Civil War things. It's just a seems like a hotbed for all that paranormal fun. Yeah. And it goes back to, like I was saying, like it seems like these areas that just have all this dark history and all this charged uh, energy, negative energy. It seems like it draws this kind of stuff. I don't know if it draws it in or if it creates it. I just don't know. But it seems like that there's a huge correlation with all of this negative energy and this this traumatic past and present that seems to feed into cryptid and paranormal activity. What's the initial reaction when, for example, snapping a thermal picture of what may be the dogman or even seeing a full-bodied white apparition? What, what is that reaction like? What are you guys feeling in those moments? Well, I, I've never seen a full-bodied, you know, dogman standing before me. Um, yeah, <laughs> but even snapping a picture where it's like that might be it. That's the thing is we didn't see we we didn't see our thermal image um, like large until we got out of there. Um, Joe Joe snapped the image, 
but he saw something and we had just gotten the thermal um, a couple weeks prior to that. So he, he didn't really know how to operate it very well. So he's trying to make it record video and he ended up snapping two photos of this thing and it moves between the two photos and you can catch actually a snout and an eye on one photo. But we looked at those photos and I mean, your jaw, your jaw hits the floor. You look at it and you're like, okay, is this, this means this is real, right? So this, so, okay, now we have giant uh, upright canids running around this place. So that's real. That's real now. Okay, great. Like it's, it's hard to process it in a way. Um, and it's just, it's so fan, it's, it just seems so fantastical, but then you see it right there. That's why we carry so much tech is we're trying to get data on this stuff. You can have stories all day long, but when you're going out there and you actually get thermal images, you get data on this, um, then that's, I mean, that's the closest we're going to get to hard proof other than having a body on the slab. There's a couple of Cherokee legends about like that, like you would call a woods witch, you know, um, there's one that is very intriguing. It's called, it's called Spearfinger and it's a, like a, she's almost an elemental, but there was the, the legend says that the Spearfinger will take out the livers of the braves. And, uh, so the only way, but that's one of the only things I can think of that is like a direct legend of like a woods witch. Other than that, story, you know, that I heard that we went and checked out in Panthertown Valley. That was, but that was just a, an anecdote, I guess, but there's no like real solid, like case of there's some, you know, elemental woman out there other than the Spearfinger legend. That's a Cherokee legend. You had a video up on your YouTube channel that I was watching. You and Joe were out in the middle of the woods at night and you saw this bright light far off in the distance, maybe look yes. like a fire or something. Did you guys ever figure out what that was? So that video is titled A Burning Light. And um, so we were hiking in this area. This is an area that we we think the, the cult actually moved to. And that's where they were at one point. So we're hiking around this area at night. And I've got my thermal out. It's, it's pretty quiet. There's not a lot going on. Um, but I've got my thermal out and I'm looking around. I look around three times, you know, I'm looking real slow everywhere and I'm not seeing anything. And my thermal is great. It's an AGM thermal. It's very sensitive. It's high detail. It's a great, great piece of gear. Um, I didn't see, like, I can see a mouse, you know, I can see a mouse running through the woods in the distance, but I see nothing. There's nothing on it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just, there's nothing here. So I take my thermal, I put it away. I put it on the in the uh, case that's on my belt there, put it away. And I take maybe five steps and in the distance, in the woods, I see this light. I see this round light that has about a 12 foot diameter to it. It's in the woods. It's almost, um, it's not illuminating anything around it though. It's like self-contained. It's spherical. Um, and it was, I was, I could not believe what I was seeing. I was like, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? So I've got my camera. I film it. I film the whole thing. And then I remembered I had my thermal on me. So I pull my thermal out, give the camera to Joe, pull my thermal out. And it's producing heat. It's hot. Like it's on there. And I have the thermal footage in that video. It's hot. It is like hot, hot. So it looks like a, the best thing I can say, like, but I don't know what it is exactly, but the closest thing I can relate it to is like a, possibly a portal. 
Um, but we filmed this and Joe, he's taller than I am. So he can see better than I can everything going on. He's seeing figures going like around it, at least two, possibly three, but he sees like figures going around it. And then this light, this, this ball, this portal, this orb, whatever this is starts to rise. And Joe's like, we're getting out of here. Nope. We're getting out of here. Cause we don't know where these things are that he's seeing that was around it. So we get out, we hike out, um, and it's just, it rises. And we're like, it was the weirdest thing. And you can just hear my my reaction in the video. I'm just like, what? And like, I'm sh I'm just shocked. Um, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm hysterical about it. Well, we go back the next day. We go back the next day to the area because we're going to get readings. We had to drive all the way back up there. Um, we use a Geiger counter and we got some elevated um, radiation, kind of residual radiation in the area, but there's no burn mark. Nobody had a fire there. Um, we just checked out the whole area, but we did find one of those symbols. Like you mentioned earlier, the square with the X, um, we found one of those symbols right there where this thing was. And we tried to debunk whatever this could be. We went over every possibility. It wasn't the moon. Uh, it wasn't a campfire. I have no explanation for what it was. So we're hiking out of there that after we went back to get our readings and get all the data and everything and check it out, check out the area during the day. We go back there, we're hiking out and I didn't notice this when I put the video up, but one of my viewers actually saw this and pointed it out to me. Joe takes the camera and he's turning it kind of behind him as we're hiking down the mountain. And there is a figure, a it looks humanoid, but we're not sure what it is, but it's up in the trees going from tree to tree. And we get a really good, just quick shot of it going from tree to tree. The tree is bending down where it's jumping and grabbing onto the other tree. Um, but I have that. I slowed that down. I put that in the next video I did at the beginning. And so there is something out there going from tree to tree and following us out of the woods there. That's terrifying. Jesus yeah. it, it's horrifying. Yeah. Like, so now we've gone up there a couple more times after that. And you guys are nuts. <laughs> you guys are crazy. I know. We, we are. <laughs> but we'll go, we go back up there and we're looking in the trees constantly. I mean, we're still going out there at night too, but we have no idea what this is. Um, and, and the, I have a video that I put out, um, after a burning light called a path of darkness. And it, in that, I have it at the beginning. You can watch that slowed down footage. I slow it down and I zoom it in and everybody is just blown away by like, what is that? Like, what is that? Like, there's no explanation for what that could be because it's got, it's got size to it. It looks to be about, it looks to be about four feet tall. Um, and it's just going from one tree to the next and the tree that it grabs onto and lands on bends with its weight. So, it's got size to it. It wasn't a bird. It wasn't an owl or anything like that. This this sizable tree bends with this thing's weight. Could you tell if it was humanoid-esque? It look. It's got arms. Whatever it is, it's got arms. You can see like arms reaching out on the tree. You know, and this is North Georgia in the mountains in the winter time. It's it's like twenty degrees. So somebody mm. suggested. Somebody goes. Maybe, maybe somebody let a monkey go. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't mean, think we've got an orangutan, you know, uh, jumping from tree to tree and 20 degrees in the mountains in Georgia, but that's a possibility, I guess. But no, we have no explanation. It's almost reminiscent of the every time, not every time, but when there's Mothman sightings, 
there's yeah. UAP sightings that kind of are in the same region for some yeah. of those accounts. There's a lot of phenomena that coincides with each other. Um, a lot, you'll hear about people seeing a UFO and then seeing a Bigfoot. You know, they'll talk about encountering. Um, a, there's a woman in white connection to Bigfoot sightings. It's it's weird how some of these phenomenons go hand in hand. That they seem like they're from. They seem so different, but then they go hand in hand, and you see them like together. And I don't know if that's kind of signaling that maybe they're all coming from the same place. Maybe they're all on the same kind of plane. Maybe they're, they all have the same origin. I don't know. Yeah, the lady in white legend is kind of widespread also, probably even as widespread as Bigfoot, because I'm pretty sure I know that Connecticut has a lady in white we legend. White, white lady cemetery and green white lady, lady cemetery. cemetery. Yep. Did you ever kind of look into Wendigo's? Did you ever come across <laughs> anything or investigate into Wendigos? We've actually gotten a very weird report lately. Um, a guy in Kentucky was having something around his house and we were, you know, regularly on the phone with him. He was sending us videos, but something was banging on his back door. Um, something was, it, it was banging on his door. It was growling at him. He was trying to catch it on the camera. He couldn't get it on the camera. He described it as a large humanoid creature, but it looked like it had like a deer skull on its head, you know? Um, but he had told us that prior to that, they were doing a lot of road construction in the area and they ended up actually digging out and removing an Indian mound that was there, like an Indian burial mound. Yeah, there's like a native earthwork that they removed to put in this highway. And then it seems like as soon as that happened, he started seeing this thing around his house. It was driving him crazy. It was banging on his, like on the outside of his house, uh, banging on the door. He had to put all these locks on his door because he was afraid it was going to come in and, and get him. Um, and then he just dropped off. We haven't heard from him in months now. Um, but it was, he was really intense talking to us all the time and we were about to head up there to go check it out. And then he just dropped off the face of the planet. I'll go so, check on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drop by and make sure he didn't get Wendigoed. But yeah, I'm, I, 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 I like the Wendigo legend. Um, I'm interested in that. There's just not a, there's not much of a, um, there's not much of a Appalachian equivalent to that. The, the Wendigo and Skinwalker and all that. It's, more centered around the, the American Southwest with that legend, like the Uinta Basin and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, I, I think it's a possibility. I mean, you're, again, you're talking about using, you know, with the Skinwalker legend, you're talking about something using dark magic, using evil dark magic, and then it leads into the development of a cryptid. It leads into a cryptid appearing um, or you becoming one. So there's that connection there that is, it, we're not just... When you think about cryptozoology, it's not just a classification of animals or something like that. There's some sort of spiritual connection there. There's something there that has to do with, there's a connection between the, the ritual aspect of it and the appearance of these creatures. I would say you are making cryptozoology dangerous again. <laughs> <laughs> I do my I mean, best. Before we start to wrap up, have you ever seen the video of that guy throat singing on YouTube? And no. there's the two skinwalkers. They look like skinwalkers, but they're very interesting. Frank and I covered it on one of our Patreon episodes oh, okay. where we talk about this. But there's a guy who's doing, you know, like 
native throat singing in the woods. Yeah. And there's these two creatures that look humanoid that like peer across like trees and they're yeah. real freaky looking. Well, I'll have, we'll, we'll send you the link and. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. Yeah. God, I, you would not believe like my inbox is so full of like links to like videos and stories and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Cause everybody's like, I need you to look at this and tell me what you think about it. Um, there's just, it seems like there's so much coming out about and you know, and there's, there are hoaxes, there are hoaxes that does happen, but it's almost like there's a lot more people encountering cryptids and paranormal activity right now. It seems like there's something ramping up that's ramping up to something. Um, everything's getting a little more intense. People are having more sightings, more encounters. Um, I don't know if it's building towards something. It seems like something is building and I don't know what it's building towards. I don't know if it's because there's so much, uh, stress and, um, you know, everything's kind of in chaos around the world. If that feeds into it, that energy feeds into it, but it seems like there's a lot more sightings going on right now and people are experiencing stuff a lot more. Despite the negativity going on around the world, if there's more sightings, that means more people are getting outside, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. see? <laughs> yeah. It's all about getting some exercise. <laughs> yeah, man. Jesse, it's been awesome having you on. Before we let you go and, and head out, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have working on? The stage is yours. Okay, yeah. Um, so my uh, my my project, my, my big thing is Hellbent Holler. Um, you can find me on YouTube at Hellbent Holler. And then I am on Instagram at Hellbent Jesse. We do a live stream every Monday at 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel where we have we have the chat going and we just kind of have a free form discussion with our list with our watchers and our listeners. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun every Monday. Um, and then I've got a LBL series coming up soon. I'm going to go back to the LBL. So we'll be putting that out very, very soon. And uh, if you guys want to check out that strange creature in the tree, you can watch um, my videos, A Burning Light and A Path to Darkness, because those are in there. But yep, I'm putting out videos about every every two to three weeks or so. Um, but yeah, you can find me on YouTube and on Instagram. Yeah, Hushlings, make sure that you go check out her YouTube videos. I was watching a bunch of them. They're super creepy, like she was saying. Very interesting stuff, crazy stuff. Her and Joe are very brave for what they do, so give them yeah. a follow over there and listen to their show. Thank you again, Jesse, for stopping by. Yeah, no problem. Hushlings, thank you, as always, for joining us on Declassified Discussions. I am Mystery Mike. I am Declassified Dave. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. <laughs>